Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode number 68 of the Lift Free and Diet Hard podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Andrew Coates. And today's especially special. Every guest I have, I feel is incredibly special. But um, And I'm proud of that legendary roster of coaches and fitness professionals that we've had across both versions of this podcast, the old 150 episodes and the new 68. Um, but uh, few on that list can stand toe-to-toe with Dan John in terms of the impact and legacy that he's uh, left on our industry. And if by some miracle you're not familiar with Dan, well, he's a pretty prolific writer. Dan, how many books have you written? Is it something in the range of 15? Yeah, I'm on 15 right now. Yeah, I'm on 15 yeah. right now. Uh, you're obviously a prolific uh, writer for a lot of industry publications. You're one of the really the foundational guys behind T Nation, T Mag back in those days. I and uh, you are an educator, uh, both in the strength training and some people know this, uh, you know, also in religious studies. You kind of had that dual role for a long time. Yeah. And, uh, but most of all, you're just a passionate coach for the last 40 plus years, right? That's what it comes down to. Yeah. It's amazing. I mean, it's weird when you think about it. Um, I was at, uh, went to trivia last night with, uh, and we were just talking this, we had a new person come. Her name was Jody and she was just talking. And so we're talking about all the students, all of her friends that know me. And all of a sudden you just kind of catch up and it's like, holy cow, I've been doing this a long. So, yeah, you know, I'm talking to women in their mid fifties and I would have taught them all four years of high school. And, you know, it's just weird. It's just weird, you know, not bad, weird, just weird. I mean, again, like I said, you know, you have a legacy of education and a lot of the people that would have come up through the industry who learn from you are turning around and they're now another generation of educators yeah. again, right? So it's, we all, we always talk about, you know, helping the one client that you're training in front of you versus educating a larger number of people, influencing coaches, the industry, um, scaling your reach and influence to where you're having a larger impact and you're living proof of how well that works, right? I mean, you know, there's somebody buying all those books or else you wouldn't have kept writing them. Huh. Well, that was true in the beginning, not lately. The last couple of years, boy, it's been slow. But yeah, it's it's one of those things. And I, I think what really helped me the most in my career is I, I, I did a smart thing. I didn't know at the time, but I've always coached a mixed. Uh, so for example, I coached individual athletes, uh, track and field, mm-hmm. and uh, I coached wrestling, but I also coached American football. And I also taught at camps. And so I had a chance to coach in a variety of spaces you know obviously i've worked with you know fat loss clients and there's nothing wrong with that and i've worked with you know large groups of you know one-off things but it was good about it is that if all you spend your time with is working with the best of the best of the best people who pick things up instantly Mm -hmm. you know it's weird you know i'll be at a workshop and you know there'll be some athlete there who sees something and goes like this and then does it perfectly and if you just spend all your time with that you're you're not really helping yourself downstream when you work with the much more normal client and if you're teaching 65 boys at once how to squat what you what worked with you with division one athletes ain't gonna work with 65 14 year old boys so you need to invent something and i invented the goblet squat because of that and then when this doesn't happen, you have to invent that. And when that doesn't work, you have to, and if you're not, if you're not consciously thinking, you know, it's funny. And I got to tell you, Andrew, here's the million dollar thing. Well, there's two, there's let me right. Make sure I make, make sure, because this is a good point. So problem solvers, thinkers versus memorizers. Okay. Two point, two points. Point number one. Nothing worse than an assistant coach or somebody who is a problem finder. It's obvious to all of us. If we're zero and 15 and we've lost every single game, you know, I don't need to be pointed out that we're having a problem. You know, I'm a pretty smart kid. I think I figured this out for myself. I don't need you to walk over and elbow me and go, you know, we should win some games. Oh, yeah, really? Well, geez, I didn't even think about win the games win the games yeah didn't i want someone who solves problems if they if if i don't want you to come up and tell me uh, you know you're a hockey team we forgot to bring pucks to the game i want you to show, walk over and say hey just for the record we forgot pucks but i took care of it and we're fine that's what i want that's who i want number two 
you know, everybody went to school with somebody who was a master at memorization. And they probably became, in very many cases, the best student in the class, valedictorian. And then they went off in life and they did really bad because paper is better than the best memory. I want someone who can think. I don't want someone who can just memorize stuff. You know, I'll, I'll be at workshops sometimes and, and I'm amazed because people will say, I read all your work. And then they'll say something that's like how they can't figure out how to work at their own, make something work at their home gym. It's like, well, your clients or your athletes are paying in a lot of cases for you to think this issue through. So there's two, there's two sides to, I guess, what I'm trying to say here. Any idiot can be a problem finder. Any idiot can memorize everything. But to be a problem solver or a thinker, that is extremely rare. And I'm going to tell you, Andrew, I don't want to exaggerate. I've told you this a million times, but I'm not going to exaggerate. Uh, only about one out of 20 people in my experience can actually think and solve problems. You hit on something that borders on a philosophy that I have about reading books. And I think it's a good illustration of all this. I am a prolific book reader. I listen to a lot of audiobooks. I enjoy it. And there's always someone who comes in and goes, oh, you shouldn't read that many books. You should just take a few and really like absorb and immerse yourself in everything about them. And I'd almost imply like you have to learn everything about the book. Well, A, I can go back to that book as a resource anytime I want, your, your paper. Two, I'm not looking for rote memorization of formulas, technical things in this book, or to, to memorize passages. I'm looking for the attitudes and the philosophies, the mental models, and the things that are going to help me. And the more literature, the more ideas, and the more diverse array of ideas that I expose myself to, the more things that I can grab onto that will help me with my attitudes, my philosophy, and how I implement coaching or any aspect of my business in the long run. If something's really good, I can always return to it. If I like an audiobook, I'll buy a physical copy and I'll make sure that I go back again. So by exposing myself to a broader array of this stuff. Now, I don't begrudge someone who prefers to immerse himself into more books. What I push back at is anyone who's discouraging people from exposing themselves to a broader array of ideas and attitudes and philosophy that may really help you. And you can double down on great things when you find it. Yeah, I I, I think you're right. I mean, I certainly read, a, I mean, I, I read a variety of books. It's funny. I was just reading a, Jessica Fletcher is the murder she wrote books. Right. And I just finished one of them. And about halfway through the book, uh, she explained that, no, one of the characters explains where the phrase red herring came from. So I'm sitting there, I'm, I think I was on a plane and, and I'm sitting there going, I didn't know that. And it kind of made my whole day. Here I am doing a, you know, just reading a, cause I like murder mysteries when I travel, you know, they, they engage you and you can put them down at any time, but you're right. I, I can't, I can never figure out where the next resource I'm going to learn something that's going to change my career from. So if you, in fact, I mean, I mean, I can just turn like this. So here's Derek Silver's book, you know, how to live, uh, which he's one of, I think he's genius. Great. Right um, um, you know, and then of course, these are all my books in translation. There's all the Dragon Door books. There's a collection of magazines. There's Strong Medicine. Uh, there's Giant Steps, Anthony Robbins. I'm looking over there and there's a whole collection of books there. There's a collection of books there. I'm with you. But the funny thing is, when you see me scribbling notes all the time, sometimes what you're going to see, it's something that wasn't, you know, I've never picked up the bo a book that said, um, here is how to be a strength and conditioning coach. 101 with all your answers. Most of those books mess me up more than they help me, you know. Uh, but I'll read something from another field and I'll be a better strength coach, throws coach, football coach, whatever. I'll be, I mean, I'll read something on parenting or um, the narcissist next door or something like that, whatever the book is, you know. And I'll be like, oh, that's really good. I can use that in, you know, easy strength or, you know, five cents of two or whatever the silly this. Yeah. Yeah, there's so much. I mean, you you have so much depth to your experience, not just in strength training, but again, also in the religious studies. And I have to believe there are things that get pulled from all of your experiences and, and walks of life that have made you a better coach, a coach that has ultimately led to people changing. And you talk about the one in twenty that's perfectly adherent. We, or sorry, there was one in twenty that was a uh, you know actually could think for themselves. But it, it reminded me of 
maybe one in 20 clients that we get in front of us kind of does everything we say perfectly. And we'll just like, uh-huh. right. And coaches want those clients, but they're unicorns, right? They're, they're kind of uncommon. And, yeah. those, and what you were saying, and I'll summarize it is they don't make you a better coach. They, they make you a decent programmer because they can follow your programs, but they don't challenge you to figure out ways to go. How do I get this person who is struggling with this aspect of the nutrition or this aspect of their lifestyle or whatever, how do I bridge that gap? And where it's really fulfilling as a coach, where you see someone who's been struggling and through your car. And I like, I've been telling people to read motivational interviewing and nutrition sport, great philosophy where you approach the person with unconditional positive regard and you assume that they're capable, but you just become a partner of the process. I think that works in a lot of cases, not universal. Some people really want you to tell them what to do, but you got to be careful with that. But either way, whatever process you work through that helps that person achieve their goals, that's great experience. That's what's going to make you a better coach for the long run, because those few and those clients who are perfect, they're few and far between. And for a lot of the trainers, guess what? You know, those high level performance athletes or whatever, they're not knocking on your door. Maybe one day you'll earn it where they do, but those are not the people that are going to seek you out as your career is emerging. Well, that is a, that's an absolute truism. Uh, Um, I, I kind of did things uh, wrong in my career. I start off with the uh, training division one uh, track and field athletes. So if you're a, here in the United States, that's, that's a top tier uh, university program. Well, the problem with working with division one track and field athletes is they're smart. <laughs> they do their homework. They're extremely responsible. Um, they're very good athletes and they, they want to improve. It's a terrible place to start because, you know, you don't, the motivation stuff was never part of what I had to do. You know, my motivation was like, Oh, you want to, you only want to train three hours. Come on. you need more than that. You know, that's not, that's just not real. So yeah. Um, Earl Nightingale says something interesting in one of his uh, it's, it's a early, early thing, probably from the early 1950s because it's politically incorrect now, I tell you that. <laughs> he talks about, he talks about the top, and it's, this is where I get the number uh, one out of 20. It's nothing, it's, it's, his, it's his invention that he talks about, you, you wanna be in the top 5% of everything you do. And I strive for that. I strive to be the top 5% of everything I do. Um, as an author, it means you have to public, you have to sell 10,000 books. To be in the top 3% of all time, it's just 20,000 books. Uh, because uh, book selling is a power law. It's very, very few people sold a hell of a lot of books. And there's a billion other books that are, you know, you and your mom have a copy of. Um, but what Earl says is this, is don't discount those other 19 people. Those are the people who are going to buy your services. And they're the people who are going to buy your products. And I thought to myself, it was like an illuminating thing. Um, I taught high school along uh, high school in the United States, Canada. It'd be the same thing, right? In most provinces, right? Totally. Uh, some totally. some provinces use a different word because they're more like British or French, right? But mostly, it's. Do you guys call it high school or secondary school? Or we call high school. I mean, at least I'm pretty sure everywhere uh, we use the phrase post secondary for university often enough. Post secondary. That's okay. That's where my confusion is. Okay, sorry. Um. You know, I, I watched a lot of kids go through who are, you know, really talented at giving teachers exactly what they wanted. I mean, basic, I used to joke about, you know, they're very good at barfing up on the test, but there was no, but they never interacted with the material. They never, they never had a dialogue with history or economics. So they, they knew all that they knew how to, they depict letter C on a multiple choice and say true on a true and false question, but the next level was never there. And I always try to strive to get people to do that. There's a, there's an aspect to it. That's how I like to look at it. You, you have a system and people learn the skill of functioning within the system, but the system does not teach them the other skills that are valuable when it comes to entrepreneurship or coaching individuals or what have you. You just have a group of people who ultimately, and I was that person in school who understood how to make the system work for me. So I did what the system asked of me and I got the grades, right? And as you said, often enough, those people come out of school and then all of a sudden you feel lost when you're dumped into a job where it's like, okay, where's the, the manual that tells me how to do every aspect of being a marketer or every aspect of, be, 
aspect of being a coach. If anybody goes out and looks for it, is there a book that will teach you how to be a world-class coach? No, there are a handful of books I really like that I think are going to help yeah, you. They, yeah, there's, there's concepts. Your books, and again, those those attitudes, those philosophies, that experience, I think is, is some of the best stuff out there. I like books like The Coaching Habit. I like, um, what, what is another really good one? I get motivational interviewing. There, there's a whole bunch. Brett Bartholomew, he was at dinner with us in Florida. Um, Conscious Coaching, really super book. Nick Winkleman has uh, The Language of Coaching, all on coaching cues and stuff. Phenomenal stuff. But there's no one book that, here, go read this book. You are now a master level trainer. And it's why people continue to write this sort of stuff. It's why there's all these articles. It's why, you know, again, I was inspired to start writing for Teen Nation because of the legacy of people like yourself, Dr. John Berardi, Tony Gentilcore, and, and a whole laundry list of other people who came before me in that. Uh, that list was sitting down at dinner with us in, in Florida. Um, and for those listening, that you and I met for the first time recently at the Rays of Art Conference. You were one of the featured speakers there. Really great. First time I've gotten a chance to see you speak in person and uh, and got to sit down and have dinner afterwards. And honestly, it was one of the best run events I've ever seen. Uh, it was really, really cool. Well, thank you for all that. Um, well, there's a whole bunch of stuff to... I'll, I'll say this, just a follow-up, just an example. Uh, you get the really big book of teaching there's and there's several there's one there's a great one called the first three days of school great book i give it to new teachers a gift all the time um that's all great um when the the assistant principal gets on the microphone and says this is not a drill there's an active shooter in the building this is not a drill i had to live through that jesus so now you tell me about the big book of teaching now because that's not covered. Active shooting drills is not covered in the book. They might be now. Um, you know, I've had students in my class uh, kill themselves. And the next day, you know, have their chair sitting there kind of staring at us. You, you tell me where that's covered. You know, with coaching, you know, um, everybody talks about, you know, the, the white moments of victory. But, you know especially if you have a playoff system like we have uh, in, in most American sports, except for division one football, uh, that means everybody else loses. And you have to be able to take that. And, you know, and sometimes it's a person who causes you to lose. And so you have to have a skill set that can't be written in a book. It's not there. There's no, to be able to walk up to somebody who has just publicly failed. That's the thing. That's the thing I think most people miss. I deal with people who publicly fail. And by the way, I think it's a great gift. I, it's, a, it's a gift. I'd rather you fail at 15 or 16 years old publicly where everybody knows you dropped the ball and then give you, oh, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 years to take that lesson and have a tremendous life and really dropping the ball in that game didn't really matter. But that skills that you learned, the overcoming, the, uh, I really, you know, uh, you can't leave, you know, you can't leave a shoelace untied at, at the, at the elite level. You know, you can't, you can't put on a new pair of cleats or whatever you call them, uh, boots the, the day before the biggest championship. You can't. And to learn those lessons, you know, about preparation and, and the fact that they're also preparing and they just are better today. Those, those, are, those are beautiful lessons for life. I, I don't have an issue with failure in athletics. I think it's a gift. I'd rather you fail in athletics than so many other aspects of life. Well, you just summarized some of the philosophies of John Wooden, possibly the most legendary oh coach of all time right people he's often referenced in other books about how he would yeah. teach his athletes how to tie their shoes properly and how to wear their socks so that they didn't get blisters on their feet and he drilled down true fundamentals he's the winningest i mean if i'm not mistaken i think in context he's the winningest coach probably of all time in any format i can't you know he is he, he's there's another there's a basketball player by the name of bill russell they had so many championships that it you it you forget to include them on the list Mm. They're, they're so far ahead of everybody else you it's like an afterthought oh yeah yeah bill russell with those i think he had 
12 or 13 NBA championships. Just, I mean, just, yeah, just another dimension. You know, I, I'm a big Tom Brady fan with his seven Super Bowls. And it's like, yeah, he's only six away from Bill Russell's numbers. Six. Six. I mean, you know, you just, you, so you're right. John Wooden uh, is one of those guys who was so great, you forget to include him sometimes. And I know that sounds like a weird sentence. Well, it's true. I mean, there's all sorts of things at play. There's recency bias. People think, you know, it's anybody yeah. who watches LeBron James thinking, oh, the LeBron's greatest of all time. Then there's the people who grew up with Michael Jordan, which is my generation going, like, that you're kidding. Like, Michael is the greatest of all time. And anybody who goes a little before that, like, again, Bill Russell, right? right? Yeah. It's my like, uncle loves talking about Bob Cousy of those. Oh, guys. yeah. Great player. So, you know, uh, basically, you know, LeBron and uh, Michael, if you combine all their, rings they almost have as many as bill russell <laughs> almost you know um i remember years and years ago uh just just a little now, now folks listening sorry gentle listeners now we're just yakking but someone tell me that there was uh, that tiger woods was a there was no question in the world he he was gonna uh get more uh big t- the four big titles than nicholson he was just gonna wipe nicholson's records away well, it's now, and it, we look back and it's like, yeah, he did win that Masters a couple of years. That was impressive. But, you know, he ain't going to get, you don't, you forget how great Jack Nicholson, Jack Nicholas was, Nicholson, wrong Jack, Jack Nicholas was. You could, because like, I like proximity bias, you know, it's, you know, um, you know, the, <laughs> it's just a real, and it happens, um, it happens in our business all the time. Um, you know, it's Barney Stinson, Stinson the great uh, philosopher from How I Met Your Mother. New is always better. Uh, do you know How I Met Your Mother? Okay. Barney yeah, Stinson. I've seen a bit of it, so I'm, I'm familiar yeah. with it. Yeah. His, his, one of his mottos is new is always better. And in our field, new is always better. Oh, how, why would you do the Olympic lifts? I mean, geez, you know, well, because if you do the Olympic lifts and you hit somebody, they stay hit. Uh, but what about, you know, and then people say, what about, don't you do those pressure cuffs? Right. So you're going to have a whole, you're going to, you're going to teach an American football team. You're going to coach with pressure cuffing 92 athletes, their entire body for doing calf raises. You are, well, no, I'm just saying it's really good. You're going to have 92 athletes do this. No, I'm just saying it's something you should consider. You're going to have 92 athletes do this. Well, it's just a, you know, I just shut up. It's new, and I agree it might be better, but it ain't right now. All right, two things, really quick and funny. So if you're a fan of How I Bet Your Mother, the daughter of the sudden daughter who always have a coach to telling the story, Lindsay Fonseca, Lee Boyce has coached her in the past. So our friend Lee Boyce that was with us, the three of us got that photo together. He's actually yeah. trained her. Uh, and, well, and- I, had to, I had to apologize to Lee because uh, I had a personal situation that literally had just happened to me on the phone and I was walking out the door to get, to get away from everybody so I could call home and check mm-hmm. in on it. And it, and it was just like one, one of those moments, I'm leaving voice. Okay, good, good. I'm glad you're, and I, 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 cool. I did apologize to him for not, you know, uh, uh, genuflecting and on bended knee. And, and uh, but uh, that was, that was a funny, you know, life happens to people, even if you are strength coaches. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a lesson to that too, is it's always about, you know, un- again, an unconditional positive regard. We don't know what someone else's situation is. So a, a fleeting example mm-hmm. of that, Lee is a legendary writer in his own right. He's a young man. He's very young. Uh, and he started out in his early twenties writing for Teen Nation. He's one of the most accomplished writers in our space. And again, someone else inspired by you and he was very excited to meet you. So, and again, he got a photo of all three of us together, right? Kind of three, gener- even though I'm actually older than Lee, three generations of Teen Nation guys. Um, but you said something there that I think was perfect because I was kind of prepared some general questions, but I knew you from listening to you on lots of podcasts that this would go where it was going to go. And it's just this whole thing about the basics versus the mad scramble to have new fancy things on social media. And I know that experienced coaches look at this and go, oh God. And we know that the basics work as well as ever. I mean, you said earlier, you, you pioneered, you popularized and invented the goblet squat, which I do with like, God, most of my clients at any given time. Uh, so the, I guess and, and things like farmers carries, you know, you played a big role in popularizing those as part of programming for general strength. Um, any wisdom to coaches on how to 
turn around and still sell, for lack of a better word, the basics to this new generation of trainees who oftentimes are being fed and often crave the steady diet of novelty. So, No, I can't. I, I have some wisdom for you, so hang in there. But I'll be honest with you. If, if, if you're working with somebody who's just looking for shiny objects, you're coaching a barracuda. Uh, and barracudas are fast and they do all kinds of things. But barracudas don't have hands, so they can't catch balls. Uh, and they can't throw balls and they can't throw discus. So uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. But I'll, I'll tell you what I've tried to do. It's something I learned from Steve Martin and Steve Martin, the comedian. I took his course on stand-up comedy, and I really liked it, by the way. I take a lot of interesting courses, by the way, um, to improve my speaking skills, to improve my thinking skills. And he said, be so good, they can't ignore you. And for me, I, if I'm going to work with you and you're like shiny object, shiny object, uh, I, I volunteer coach at a university over here. And the head coach tells the throwing group, Dan will just not coach you if you start doing, and he's got these, he's got a list of the 10 behaviors he's warns them about. It's funny. It's just funny because I, I, I don't think of myself as an absolute psychopath, but if I'm volunteering and I'm trying to turn you into an elite thrower, you better take this crap seriously. Okay. And so one of the things that now, the reason I think I can do that is I think I'm so good, they can't ignore me. And so one of the things, if you are worried about the fundamentals, teaching the fundamentals, teaching situational coaching, uh, situational, uh, to me, situational coaching is the most important thing. Uh, what do you do in this situation? Okay. Uh, you have two fouls in the discus. You only get three throws. What are you going to do? To me, that's true coaching. Okay. Getting them prepared for bad things. And I actually have discovered, I actually need to do a better job teaching them if they throw their lifetime best on their th first throw, what to do next. I got to work on that one. Doesn't happen very often. Nice but, problem to be playing from. Yes, yes. Yeah, it's like being too pretty. Um, so one of the things I say is, well, you just can't. There's, You're not, you know, in a group of 100 people, not everyone's going to flock to your methods. But those who do, <laughs> you know, the, it's the phrase we use a lot in the States. Those who remain will be champions. You know, those who flock to me will be better than those who flock to some, you know, and I, and I hate to be rude, but we mentioned it at dinner, but, you know, I don't show my boobs or my butt on my Instagram, you know, <laughs> and um, because of that, I don't have a lot. I, I miss a lot of followers. I have a very small account, but I'm, you know, I'm very, but this is who I am. And you're going to get to a point one day where all of a sudden the flash, you know, I, I was listening to a, a podcast not long ago and they were talking about how, the one guy works at his desk with his pants off, nothing underneath, with some kind of weird kind of ultraviolet lights on his uh, genital area. And there was, he was, you know, and the thing is nowadays, a whole bunch of them, they can't have tea. It's got to be, it's mushroom extract that was hand chewed by virgins in Tibet. And, you know, and it's like, oh, I, yeah. I, oh, you eat grass fed uh, beef. Oh, Dan, I'm so sorry. I, you know, you know, and then they come up with something that's even better. You know, my, the beef that I eat isn't grass. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's hemp, you know, mixed with, you know, what come on. it's stop. There comes a point where you just run out of these tricks and things and everyone's always chasing uh, uh, there's a word that my, my son-in-laws used the other day, FOMO, fear of missing out. And I thought, by God, that's my field in a nutshell. I'm going to give you another analogy for it. And if you ever thought about this way, this is how I kind of explain these things. People are chasing real estate and you think about it, how much real estate, all the prime real estate in our space is kind of taken. Have you heard of the liver king? You heard of this guy? Um, People, someone sent me a stuff on it. Yeah. I mean, he's this guy who's, you know, clearly on a lot more than just organ meat. Uh, and he looks like you can smell him through the pictures. He clearly, he even talks about how he like, I think he bathes once a week or something like that. This big 
big, un, big tangly beard. And so, well, we have the carnivore diet and that's popular now. I mean, for whatever reason, yeah, but yeah. If, you know, you had, okay, we have keto, low carb, and you have intermittent fasting and people brand around these, these diets, these popular fads or what have you. And obviously veganism has been around for a long time. That one's got a little bit of a different thing going on anyway. So there's not a lot of practical real estate left. So what happens? People get a bit more extremes. So all of a sudden, some people popularize the carnivore diet, you know, a couple of doctors behind that. And then the, actually, if you've heard of the snake diet guy, that guy's local, he's here in Edmonton. That guy's like, he took some of this fasting stuff, yeah. crazy extremes. Yeah. Someone sent me this guy. Yeah. It's yeah. And I'm sorry. I'll say it on air. I, I literally have, I've met the guy. He's a strange little creature. I have friends who know him. Um, anyway, so that's some real estate because Dr. Jason Fung, the obesity code fasting. Well, let's go extreme fasting. Okay, so that's so we're creeping into this area where the only real estate available is this just batshit crazy stuff. So we now we got the liver king. So what's going to be next? Uh, you know, you get fruitarians who think that then you get people who allegedly only breathe air for all their stuff. Yeah, that's what I do. And I don't eat food. We're seeing the same thing in in fitness when it comes to exercise stuff. Well, you popularize a goblet squat. Now, again, what's old is new again. So there's room for popularizing these things. And farmers carries. No one's coming around to own the farmer's carry again. No one's coming around to own the Romanian deadlift. These things are staples. So there's this quest for this unclaimed real estate, except it's the real estate that no one else wanted. So people are always scrambling for something that's new and funky. And my philosophy, because again, I'm writing for T Nation, a generation much later than yours. A lot of the foundational stuff's already been done. I'm not going to be doing circus bullshit just to have something novel on there. So I'm looking for, okay, if I've got an innovative and practical way to do something like Fred Hatfield, Hatfield uh, squats, and then Hatfield Bulgarian squats, that's a thing. It was out there, but not a lot of people were doing it. So I started doing it. Luca Hosevar started doing it around the same time. And I've been pushing on my social media. I've got an article standalone about it on T Nation to repopularize it. And then Luca and I were doing it simultaneously on our media. So we did one together and all of a sudden now you're seeing it more. Did I create it? No, but what's old is new again. And was able to take something that's actually practical, but it's got some innovative qualities to it. And then some of my articles are just going back to the basics and trying to make the basics, lay out the basics in a better way than they've ever been done. And that works. So I'm not interested in the cuckoo creative stuff. I like, I like this point about the real estate. And it does seem like, I mean, it's a way to do things. This whole hacking culture, it's nicely disappearing finally um the hack the biohacking um now it's just now people are just being much more yeah we're just getting stoned oh okay good you know whatever but uh, yeah i i agree with you this uh you know you're, you're working with people who don't know how to squat properly or don't deadlift but they're hacking you know they're, they're they have a ring on and a wrist thing on and they got they got an earphone that ties into their circadian rhythms and there's a thing and and yet they don't know how to squat or they don't, or they don't, they don't walk. And that's the one that gets me. Wait, you don't, you don't walk. I mean, come on. I mean, you know, it's just, these are, these are sleep. I mean, I still, I'm still, I mean, if you, if you want to get my interest to talk to me about, you know, enhancing sleep and, and, uh, and well, like you said, coffee fasts and things like that, those, these simple things that have been around for, I mean, human history, but we're just, you know, now we're trying to get back. I mean, oh, remember that book that came out about sleep hacking? Oh my God. Of course I work with the American military. So I'd be at these workshops and they'd be, and the guy would be like, so what do you think? Should I, should I work two hours and sleep an hour? And I remember um, our, the, our, our sleep expert saying, you're married, right? And kids. Yeah. He goes, you, you can't do it. He goes, well, why? Not? I read the book, but normal people don't sleep every, on every third hour. The start, you know, Fully and he goes, sleep. yeah, your wife isn't going to put up with you. Your kids are going to have baseball games and snacks and the TV and they're going to fight over the remote, you know? And what if it's not true? <laughs> This there's an episode of Seinfeld about this polyphasic sleep. It's allegedly what Leonardo da Vinci did, and Kramer gets onto this whole idea. So he's you know he's sleeping in little po pockets here and there, and he's got all this extra time, and then he's in the shower and he's like creating a salad in the shower. It's, it's just ludicrous. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
anyway so of course this is the entire episode at the end of it all he just he's out cold and that's the end of this whole bullshit um but yeah i've heard of polyphasic sleep i mean who knows maybe for new parents maybe there might be some applicability to it yeah. beyond that yeah well we have leo uh, my grandson lives with me so I'm, I'm you know i get a chance every day to deal with it hey there's a cat who spends you don't have to worry about that cat if the if the if uh if the big one hits, the cat will survive years. Sorry, I pulled Ozzy up onto the screen. He came over. He was batting at stuff, so I interrupted you. But yeah, Ozzy's on screen. Okay. Oh, uh, is are, will people see us? Uh, I mean, I may. I, you know what? I'm bloody terrible putting these things up on YouTube. Virtually everyone uh, listens to audio. So. Oh sure, great, no problem. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. So we've answered all the questions. Sure. Let's move on. Yeah. Okay, so what else I got for you? Well, I suppose there's there's this one too. And you know, you've done hundreds and hundreds of these podcasts. And I know people ask you the same questions about your career and what you've accomplished. What's next? What's next for Dan John to accomplish in his career? Uh, sure, sure. I want to get my body weight down to 211, 96 kilos and lift in the 96 kilo class. And then on the opposite side, I have a I have an income number that I want to reach every month. So every day I well, I'll just show you my very fancy system. Uh, there, there's, there's my system. <laughs> no uh, it's a notepad. And on the left side, it says February 22nd. It says 211. I weighed myself this morning. I did my waistline measurement. I wrote down my workout. I, I'll be writing down things for the rest of the day. Anything that brought me on the track, any ideas that came up. And then on this side is the number. There's a number. It's a clear, specific number. And then all the things I'm doing today to try to achieve that income level. Uh, right now, I'm in an odd place in my life. It's not, a, it's not necessarily good nor bad. I'm trying uh, right now to, I, I, I had some, it goes back to what happened at uh, Orlando. I, I'm dealing with some uh, personal stressors. Um, but the only two things I can control are my physical and my financial. So I'm doing the best I can. Uh, I have a book coming out in the fall. Uh, right now, I think it's going to be called the Easy Strength Omni Book. And it's already 300 pages, but that doesn't include all the other stuff I've written on other pieces of paper uh, that I haven't yet put up yet. And after I finish that book, someone will invent Easy Strength because that seems to what happened. I read an article on T Nation a couple of years ago where my original loaded carry article and the same words were used suitcase carry waiter walk those uh, suitcase carries word i came up with waiter walk uh, i'm not i can't take full credit for it because there was an exercise called the waiter press before but i was the person who popularized all the language of uh, of of the loaded carry family I, i'm the i'm the one who put it into a teaching model and uh <laughs> So, so I get a little, uh, I get a little, uh, you know, years ago, Greg Glassman gave the invention of the slosh pipe credit for the invention of the slosh pipe to right. one of his affiliates two weeks after I wrote the article on T nation about slosh pipes. Right. So, yeah, so it gets, I'm not saying that I need a lot of credit, but I mean, I'm 65. I don't have many years left. Um, there's a mistake at the uh, Pleasanton Highland Games that doesn't have me winning a championship one year. And I said, you know, the, 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 uh, someone took a picture and I said, you know, can you guys fix this? And the guy was like, well, what's the big deal? And I'm like, well, because it's on the championship trophy and I won it. And I write about that I write it. I won it. And it's like, he didn't care. And I'm like, it literally didn't care. And I'm like, when I, I'm worried about my legacy, Andrew. Hmm. you know, I'm older than my mom when she died. I'm very close to my father's age when he died. Uh, people in my family die young, as I pointed out in my workshop. And I don't want someone sitting around one day going, well, Dan John claimed to have done this, but you can see right here, you know, it's fair. and, and I, I know it comes off. Maybe some of the gentle listeners are going, I don't get what the big deal is. Well, it's not a big deal, but I, you'll notice, and I hope you've noticed this, Andrew, when, when I write articles, I give credit to everybody about everything, right? 
you know, I mean, and, and I, and I think that's the way we're supposed to think Now it could be because I come from academics. It could be that. And maybe in strength and conditioning, we're, we're just so attuned to being uh, hucksters that, you know, I mean, if you go back and read, you know, uh, the Joe Weider magazines of the sixties, where he's in, these are principles I invented. It's like, well, he has one called, like, I can't remember the, the, the principle of progressive, progressive resistance exercise. Really? You invented adding weight to the bar. Yes. <laughs> Before me, no one ever added weight to the bar. Uh, of course he's, he's one of them Canadians. I understand. Right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. We produced a few good ones like uh, Dean Somerset and Lee Boyce and uh, Brian Cron and, uh, and, and John Berardi too. So we get to take credit for all those guys as well. Um, and Megan Calloway. There's a whole bunch of really great people. I, what you're saying here makes a lot of sense. And I, I hope the listeners kind of internalize this one too, because think about it, you know, there's going to be a point along your career where this stuff may matter to you a little bit more. Something I encourage people to do is look for ways to stand out and grab onto ways that you can create a career accomplishments or career capital. Funny, you mentioned the book, uh, or sorry, so good that they can't, uh, they can't ignore you. It's a book by Cal Newport, amazing book. It's about Steve Martin's uh, quote. And he talks about career capital in terms of all these skills you acquire. I, I tend to use it a little differently where, you know, you, you're the author of all these books. That's a pretty substantial thing. It sets you apart. You are an educator who speaks and presents at conferences. Um, you know, you've written for T Nation. And so everything that you, anyone can do in their career that accomplishes these types of things and checks off these boxes means that that's part of your legacy and why you stand out and why people will seek you out to learn from you, be coached by you. And it all makes it just a little bit easier to show up at the doors of your facility or to whatever online business you're doing and have a steady stream of people who are seeking you out to work with you versus always scrambling and looking for new leads. And right. And these things are all true, right? And you still have invitations to speak at events like Raise the Bar. You still have invitations to go and speak at, at, and educate in all kinds of different venues. You're still volunteering at this college. So I think the things that we've done and we've accomplished deserve that respect. And it's, there's nothing selfish about wanting to be treated with that kind of respect. And so I hope the lesson comes here is when everybody's thinking about this, you know, there, there's so much plagiarism right now, especially in the social media space. And because my Instagram social media has gotten very popular, gets shared a lot. Occasionally, someone sends it to me that they found that someone has plagiarized it. Sometimes people will translate it into another language and pawn it off as their own. That happens a lot. Or sometimes just someone cuts my name. They didn't even like rewrite it. They just cut my name and picture off the top of it and reshare it as their own. And it's like, people be like, oh, what's the big deal? It's, you know, and one, it, we can't burn a lot of emotional energy being mad about the stuff all the time because there's stuff beyond our control, like you said. But then there's, well, you know, this is also work and a legacy that you put a lot of effort into. You know, there a lot went into winning that championship, a hell of a lot. So I think it's worthy of that respect. So I think when people look at, things that we're grabbing and learning from other people who've influenced us. Something that I love to, this podcast is a vehicle for this. This is a podcast to have you on. It, it was criminal that I hadn't had you on up to this point. I'm just grateful I got a chance. We, we all thought that. Yes, we all Absolutely, thought that. Absolutely, right? <laughs> I've I even had John Berardi on and he's hard to get onto these things. But, you know, it was a real pl pleasure and I'm glad that this finally worked out. And I, I, a great example to what you talk about. I never got John Meadows on. Right. And that's a bit of an oversight and that's not possible anymore. Right. Rest in peace. Like, you know, great guy in, in our space. So it, this is stuff. This is esoteric stuff that I think is worth thinking about. And some of the people listening to this are in their early twenties, mid twenties, you know, yeah. earlier in their careers. And maybe this stuff may not be staring you down right now. I'll be 44 in three weeks. And I look around, I'm going, when the hell did that happen? Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. Right? I know. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that very well. Yeah, it's weird. Huh? Right. Yeah. So, but anyway, I, I think it's deserving of that respect. So, it, and certainly it's a conversation that's never been talked about on here before. So, if nothing else, I hope everybody listening kind of treats everything that helped you become who you are and, and the people that you learn from, treat those people with respect. There's no harm and it doesn't take away anything from you 
in making a point of saying, hey, I learned this from this person. And I, if I ever talk about things like, oh, hip asymmetry and the fact that you don't need to have both of your feet symmetrical to each other because there can be asymmetrical differences between your hips. This is stuff I learned from Dean Somerset. I've done a ton of his con ad. He's got a course coming up here. Actually, anybody in the local Edmonton area, March 19th, he's got something. Look out of social media, message me. I'll send you a link for it. You know, I always try to soak up whatever Dean can teach. And then Dean is very clear in pointing out that, oh, he got this from Stu Miguel or someone else that, you know, he's been influenced by. And it makes you look good. It, it, there's like nobody who's a 23 year old Instagram person has invented anything that, you know, foundational in this industry, right? You're just, and unfortunately we're all recycling things. And does every coach, every time they show a, a goblet squat need to say, Hey, Dan, John invented this. No, they don't need to do that, but they should, they should they're a little <laughs> asterisk. <laughs> property of copyright by John. Copyright, that's... There's also copyright. nothing wrong with if you, if you say this in an article. And, you know, and even I need to make sure I'm even more thorough in this sort of thing to say, hey, you know, this is something that Dan John popularized and, quote, invented, uh, you know, in his days of coaching, and here's why. So there's a lot of value in that. So I'd like to get people to both think about that stuff and then same and not be paralyzed and try to, well, who do I credit for the squad? Oh, yeah. I mean, I would never want someone just get stuck and, you know, just and go. Yeah. But you're right. At least, well... Um, but then I'll listen to some of these people on these things and they just come off like before, you know, 2019, no one ever did these things before. And it's like, well, we, no, that's not true. I mean, I got the Soviet, it's like when somebody told me that, uh, there were no kettlebells until 1998. This is what somebody told me. I'm like, <laughs> the track and field Omni book. I saw the Soviet hammer throwers training with kettlebells at College of San Mateo, and I think it was 1974 and 1975. Uh, I didn't know what the hell they were. And it was interesting because they said poods and the Americans heard puds from that. And so for a long time, throwing weights in America, these little cast iron things with a handle were called puds. And and the, the, the reason they're called puds is from the Soviet word poods, which is kettlebells. And it's just funny to think that because, you know, I'm a kettlebell instructor and I, sh I share that story with my students. It's like stuff gets around a long time. But what the key is, take these ideas that have been around a long time and make them easier to understand, make them more accessible to everybody, just no matter what their height, weight, limbs, number of limbs uh, make. Our job is, and I'm a big believer we at first we're supposed to educate to teach to to carry people through these things and there's always place there's always a place at the table for somebody who makes it simple faster um more elegant yeah i like that always a place at the table it got me thinking to this conversation that we got some time to hang out with uh, chris duffin and one of my goals is uh, he wants to come on the podcast in the near future we'll get him on and chris we were, we got to play around with his, uh, and I hope I'm saying it right, Caillou Bells. Those really, those cool three handled asymmetrical weighted, uh, like dumbbell like objects that he had. Yeah, yeah. Now, those are innovative. Those are really cool. Yeah. And so those are something that he engineered. I've never seen anything quite like it before. I mean, the principle behind asymmetrical objects, I mean, a kettlebell is an asymmetrical object that has certain benefits to it. Your slosh pipe has unique if anyone doesn't know about a slosh pipe i i can't your books blend together for me but i know it was featured in one of your books and i can't remember never let go yeah I, yeah it was definitely never let go then because i've definitely done that one um i haven't done all 14 i'll admit but uh there's some great yeah, ones. No. i know i know and i want to point out fat loss uh always happens on always starts on monday with josh hellis i've had josh on the podcast recently amazing being one of my favorite people so i gotta shout him out so anyone listening who's finding this for you go listen to the josh hellis one but the slosh pipe. So you talk about this. The damn thing is a great idea. And if someone doesn't know what we're talking about, well, just go Google it. Look at the article on Teenation. Yeah. And it's just a really, if you've seen a bamboo bar with like bands with kettlebells hanging from the end of it, yeah. similar concept, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the, uh, we used to call them Koji squats. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. There's nothing anywhere in the sun. Yeah. Well, it's been a genuine pleasure to have you on here.
Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate the, the candor and the, the nuanced thought and, and some stuff that I've never gotten a chance to talk about before on the podcast. You obviously have an open invitation to return in the future, anytime you feel like, perhaps uh, when your book comes out, if you'd like to promote it. Uh, I'm quoting that on air. And, uh, and like I said to everybody, you know, I, I got the f- first chance to actually sit down and meet you despite reading your stuff for shit well over a decade uh, mm-hmm. in Florida at Raise the Bar. And it was a great conference. And this is one of the many reasons why I'm such an advocate for getting out and getting to these events. And now that we've had two years of not as much of it, I would say, exactly. take, the, take the opportunities you can to go to these kind of events. They've enriched my career. Um, created connections and relationships that I could never imagine. And not just with influential industry figures, but coaches who are, as I like to say, on the same path that I've been on along the way. And I found those people are some of the greatest supporters, um, some of my best friends in the industry, some people who I really enjoy interacting with, shared values. So Dan, it was a real pleasure to get to sit down and have dinner with you. Thank you. It was really cool to have you on here. And just invite me back whenever it works out. I mean, I'd be thrilled. So where do you want people to find you uh, on? Well, um, well, tell you what, let's use that same code I gave you guys down at the, uh, so if you want a discount on my, I have two websites, one's free, damnjohn.net, 3000 pages of free materials, pages. I mean, if you print it off, forget it, your printer won't exist anymore. that's free, always danjohn.net, free, always will be. And then I have a paid site called danjohnuniversity.com. And if you want a big discount, uh, use use these letters, E-S-P-E-N on the code, ESPN, not E-S-P-N, E-S-P-E-N. And that'll give you a real big discount, okay? Great. All right. So everybody write that down. If you're driving, just know to come back to it, pause, or just, just remember ESPN, but you put an extra E in before the end. All right. Yeah. 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 And, you know, I know uh, that you, I'm here to help. So, yeah. And I know that you said, you know, you're not as active on your Instagram, but you're on Instagram. People could follow you on Instagram or Facebook too, right? Yeah. Coach, Coach Dan John. Yeah. It's, it's because you, I couldn't believe this, but so Dan John is uh, an Italian clothier. And so uh, it's weird because if you type, if you if you are trying to uh, at me and you put Dan John, it's the weirdest the combination of people swinging kettlebells, throwing the discus, and then wearing you know doing the whole tie thing with a you know the whole. So it's all these pictures of men you know in pretty little suits you know. The hashtag Dan John is a mix of different things. Yeah, it's hilarious if you th- if you think about it. it. Really, it's kind of funny. It's yeah, but Coach Dan John Instagram, uh, and I'm and I'm there to help. Okay, great. Again, pleasure to have you. If anybody listening is finding me for the first time in my podcast uh, through any of Dan's media, well, again, I'm thrilled that you've made it to the end of this episode. And I like to point people to well. I've got a really cool library of people that I think have done good work in the industry. Um, Josh Hillis has been on, on this current iteration of the podcast, like I said, 68 episodes, but before that there's 150 with my old co-host Dean Guido, who's a wonderful human being, uh, just had to leave and raise his newborn daughter. And, uh, John Berardi was one of the people that we had near the very end of those episodes, but we've had everybody, uh, you know, a lot of the names I've mentioned, including Tony Gentilcore, Lee Boyce has been on new, a number of times, a lot of really cool people. And I hope to bring Chris Duffin, uh, Molly Galbraith is scheduled for the not distant, not too distant future and some other really great people that we got to hang out at Raise the Bar. So thanks everyone. I appreciate it. And thank you, Dan. Thank you.